reading in the ESV. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more than they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you have more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value than you are the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. Not be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Excuse me not being up and ready. I was just curious as to whether you'd sing it twice or not. So I, I, I sat back there and thought, I, I wonder what they're going to do. That's, that's, that was my only method in that. Was just that, so, yeah. um, Great to be with you this evening and to uh, look together at, at Luke 12. I know most of you guys reasonably well. Um, so let's get, let's get going in this. And um, I wanted to focus really on verse 32 here. Um, 31 and 32, but particularly 32. That verse, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's fair to say that in the world in which we live, um, people are worried about the future. Um, worried in, in so many words, worried about the, the world and what's happening globally. Uh, worried about our country. Worried about health issues as well and those things. There are so many things that occupy uh, the mind. And news feeds on this and tells us you know, that we are right to be worried and concerned about so many things. But in this chapter, Jesus uh, talks primarily to his followers. I don't know if you picked that up in verse 1. Uh, first to his disciples. Um, so Jesus is talking to a crowd of people here. But, but firstly, is, is talking to those who would call themselves his followers, his disciples. And he is giving them instructions uh, through the chapter. And if I could sum it up, he is saying to them... Um, uh, the way that we live life wisely now is by looking towards the eternal future. Looking towards the kingdom and the things that really matter. So if you want to live wisely now, have a thought to the eternal future. And really, if you look through all these uh, different uh, t- teachings of Jesus in this passage, they would sort of focus around that uh, at one level or another. Uh, so Jesus is talking to those who are his followers and he's telling those who would call themselves disciples of Jesus, uh, that in order to live effectively as disciples, we don't just think about the things around us in the now, but we think about the future and the eternal future and the kingdom. That's what he is telling his disciples. So in terms of persecution, uh, verses 1 to 7, in terms of what to say when persecuted, uh, in terms of hoarding money, in terms of worrying about money, in terms of uh, trying to, to get things. Christmas is coming up, isn't it? And it's, uh, it's, if you watch the adverts, you know, there's so many things we need to get. We need to get loads of food. There's so many food adverts at the moment. And we need to get certain gifts. If you're on uh, social media, I get all these gift ideas coming up over and over again. It's, it's, like, it's like it reads my mind. And, of course, there's algorithms, though. Here's what you say and then, and then puts it in there. So I've done this before now. I, was like, I think I need a bed. And then next day you'll see all these adverts for beds. But uh, all these things that, 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 that are coming up that say you need this, your life isn't complete without this or this. And the temptation is then to focus on the immediate and to lose sight of eternal things. And particularly what Jesus refers to here as the kingdom. 
It's 35 years ago that I passed my driving test. 35 years ago. I, I can remember um, being a car. My instructor wasn't very nice. He used to shout at me a lot. And uh, yeah, one of the things he, he used to take me up on, quite rightly, is that when I, I would change gear, I would look at the gear stick. And I would focus on that. So I'd be looking out the window, and I needed to change gear. I'd look down there, and I'd try and do this. And he used to shout at me and say, look out the window, look out the window. You're going to kill someone, was his phrase, which uh, I'm not sure did me good. I was quite timid as a 17-year-old. So it didn't do me much good, that. But, but he's right in a way. What he was saying is, if you focus on this thing here, you're going to lose sight of what's really important. And that is the road around you and what's going on. So if I miss a gear, the world won't end. But if I hit a pedestrian, then for somebody the world won't end. So in, in a way, what he's saying is right. There, there, and, and there's a temptation sometimes to get so caught up with the immediate that we lose sight of what really matters. And Jesus is saying more than that. He's saying we need to have our focus in the right place. We don't look at what other people are doing, or what other people are saying, or what bombards us and says this is important. We take the words of Jesus, and as followers of Christ, we say, what do you say really matters? What is it that you say really matters? And that's the focus on the journey. And I have to say that this has been so helpful for me over the years, to have this focus. This is what drives me when stuff goes wrong. So when, it's probably fair to say, it's fairly easy to be a Christian when stuff is going right. But when stuff goes wrong and you think, what's this all about? Uh, then the question is, what, what is the focus that keeps us going? And the focus is that Christ is building a kingdom that lasts forever. And he, in his grace, calls broken and lost and fallen people to be part of that kingdom. That's really amazing. It never ceases to amaze me, and I hope that it never will cease to amaze me. What is important? What really matters? And I want to look at this verse here, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He said just before that, seek his kingdom. And you might say, well, where is it? We're going to have to try and find this kingdom. It must be so far away. People have talked about it for years and years. And then he says, you little flock, remember the disciples he's talking to, uh, the Father's been pleased to give you that kingdom. Promise of, for years is going to be theirs. And the Father in his good pleasure is free to do that. So let's just look at that for a moment. Do not be afraid. I don't know if I've ever preached this here, but I heard this secondhand. Don't be afraid 365 times in the Bible, 366, some people say, for a leap year. Apparently that's false. Uh, I'd love it to be true, but it, it just isn't. Um, but what you do find in Scripture is that, uh, that uh, hundreds of times, it's between two and 500, depending on how liberal you want to be with that phrase, you find this phrase, do not be afraid. Incidentally, in chapter 12, it's there in verse 4 and 7 and 32. Three times Jesus says to his disciples first and to the crowds, do not be afraid. So it's three times just in this chapter alone, Jesus says this. So there's a sentiment here that's important enough that it's repeated by Jesus three times, even in this passage of teaching to his disciples, but hundreds of times through the Bible. Do not be afraid. In terms of the future, in terms of persecution, in terms of provision, in terms of what we're going to wear, don't be afraid, says Jesus, specifically in this passage. So he says, do not be afraid. Then he calls uh, those who follow him a little flock. 
Uh, remember, first the disciples, then to the crowds. So he's acknowledging that those who follow him will not always be a majority by any means. There's a time in Jesus' ministry, and if you um, have read this in, I think it's John 6, just after he's fed the 5,000, and they want to make him king. So this is the great moment. They've all been fed. And he's like, oh, this is cool. Let's make Jesus our king, then we'll get loads of food. And then Jesus challenges them about teaching and says some things that they find hard to understand. And at that point, many people turn away from Jesus. The crowds come because he's given them what they want. And when he doesn't give them what they want, they turn away again. And uh, it's to the 12 that he turns and says, you know, do you want to turn away too? And it's Peter who says, do, where do we go? You've got the words of eternal life. In other words, where else can we go to get what you will give us? And that's an incredible thing. But it is a little flock. And so at Pentecost, it's 120. Uh, just uh, after the outpouring of the Spirit, so graciously at Pentecost, it's 3,000. Then it's 5,000. Across the world today, of course, as the gospel has grown and spread uh, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, we're talking about millions of people. But in many countries, still a minority. Uh, there was a time in John Knox's uh, time in Scotland when uh, they reckon 10% of the population were um, Bible-believing Christians. Imagine that. So one in 10 people that you'd meet uh, would be serious about uh, the Lord and about the Scriptures and about following him. But that, that's not always the case, and that's not our reality either. But Jesus says uh, that his disciples will be a little flock People who are Christians, who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we won't always be in the majority. Quite the reverse. We'll be a little flock. So we're not going to win this world by numbers. We're going to win uh, the nations uh, by bringing a message that is powerful to transform people. And this little flock is able to do that because their message they have is an eternal gospel that God testifies to. And that, that's, that, for me, is, that is such a wonderful thing that I know that when I share good news with people and I share the good news of Jesus with people, that I am giving a moment where the Spirit who testifies to the truth concerning him is able to speak into their hearts. And as I do that and plant seed, I don't know where it's going to grow. Isn't that great? So you're looking at this and you say, I'll share with so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. Nothing seems to happen there or there or there. Oh, suddenly, there's life. Never expected that. Suddenly this one has preached to that one and there's life there. And, that's it. and the kingdom grows like that through a little flock. In some senses you might say a persecution when the flock is, is, is cut down, that's when it seems to be that the, the church grows at its greatest in those times. Because the little flock have been given the kingdom. And those things that are probably most precious become most real at the most difficult times. So, do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Now, I mean, obviously, they've all got different earthly fathers. So, Jesus is talking about the heavenly father. And he says, the kingdom is the gift of the almighty. It's the gift of the heavenly father. He gives to his people. And more than that, it is his good pleasure to give them the kingdom. Or, to put it another way, it's his delight to give them the kingdom. Sometimes, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I see my own unworthiness as a person. And I see my own brokenness and my own sin. And I think to myself, you know, well, isn't God wonderful to do this? I, I deserve nothing at all. 
and you know, how wonderful you have mercy on me. But sometimes I think of it almost like it's a, it's a, it's a hard act for him. Well, he doesn't deserve it. But, I, you know, my arm's bent and, you know, I'll, I'll do this because, because, well, because he needs it. But scriptures tell us that God delights to bring the kingdom to lost and broken people. It tells us that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And you might say, where's the joy in weeping drops of blood at the thought of the cross? But the joy is in bringing many sons to glory, as Hebrews says, taking many people who are lost and bringing them back to himself. That delights uh, the Father in heaven. The parable of the prodigal son, the prodigal sees himself as absolutely worthless. He spent everything, he's lost everything. He comes back to the homeland with nothing and expecting nothing, except perhaps that there might be a tiny bit of mercy so that he could come back and at least be fed and work as a slave or some kind of servant. And you, you, you see this moment where, where he, Jesus tells a story and the father is looking and the moment he sees that one that's lost, he puts his arms around him and he runs out to him and he delights to throw a feast in his honour. I think sometimes we need to remember this. There is a delight. So when Jesus talks about uh, the joy in heaven, the angels rejoicing over one who comes back to him, it's because there's a delight. God delights to show mercy to those who are lost and broken. It thrills his heart. He is a gracious and a good God. And it's in line with his character to show kindness towards those who don't deserve it. And it gives him pleasure. That's, that's the odd thing, isn't it? I always think about the pleasure that I have in being saved. But he delights in reaching those who are lost and broken. There's a delight in the heart of God in bringing us back to himself. And uh, over the last year or two, I've begun to see this again and to delight in this. Your father... Uh, has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The kingdom. Where do you start with that phrase, the kingdom? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? It's used interchangeably uh, in scripture. And the reason I say that is because um, you get the same stories in Luke and Matthew. And one will call, uh, will refer to the kingdom as the kingdom of God. And the other one is the kingdom of heaven as Jesus teaches those stories. So it doesn't appear to be two separate things. It appears to be the same thing. And Jesus says, even here in verse 31, seek first the kingdom, but then your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And I want to expand on that a little bit because kingdom seems to be very, very important in the ministry of Jesus. So when he comes and preaches... His preaching is, the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God is at your, in your midst, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and in Matthew and Luke's gospel, uh, we're told that's the content of Jesus' preaching. In Matthew's gospel, you've got the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, and interestingly enough, it starts with the Beatitudes, and the first Beatitude is about kingdom, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the last part of the Beatitudes, blessed are you when persecuted for righteousness, because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Something there that's important. And then you go to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, that's who we're talking to. Our Father, as we're reminded here. Um, your name is holy. He's set apart. But what do we pray? Your kingdom come. Isn't that interesting? Jesus teaching his disciples, those who would follow him to pray, and he teaches them that as they pray, they approach their Father in heaven with reverence and awe, and they say, 
your kingdom come. That's how important it is. Um, if you've got the, the English version of the Lord's Prayer, you'll know it ends with that ironically as well, doesn't it? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So it sort of ends, starts and ends with the same thing. So you're sort of looking at this saying, what is the kingdom? Now, here comes the story. Um, down my road, I think I mentioned this before, is a guy called Mark. Uh, Mark uh, was not a Christian and was read, led to read the Book of Enoch, strange book, and through the Book of Enoch, then to read the Bible. And when he started reading the Bible, he could not put it down. So when I came into contact with Mark, um, he, he was continually reading the Bible. He, his son said to me, I knocked on his door and said, I've somebody here reading the Bible. He said, my dad's become dead biblical. So this is in Rock Ferry. So, so we unpack this with Mark. What does it mean to be dead biblical? So when I read the Bible all the time, I don't watch soaps, don't, no time for TV. I just read the Bible in my downtime. So I said, have you read it through? And he goes, yeah. I said, I've been reading it for the last year. So he said, so I said, all of it? And he said, yeah, five times through. I, honestly, I've never met anybody else who has read the Bible five times in a year other than Mark. So I was genuinely curious and thought, well, somebody who's got no real Christian background, you know, uh, a nominal Methodist when he was very younger with his mom, but no background. I said, well, what have you discovered through reading the Bible through from Genesis to Revelation five times through? And Mark says this to me, I've discovered that God is building a kingdom that lasts forever. And that if I'm part of that kingdom, then I will be forever blessed, eternally blessed. And if I'm not part of that kingdom, then I, I am eternally in the worst of trouble. And he said, I'm not quite sure how to get in the kingdom. I know it's to do with Jesus. And it's either through his death or through his resurrection. He said, I haven't worked it out yet. So it seems that they, they talk about his resurrection very much at the start. And then they go on to talk about his death. So I'm a bit confused. So that, that was his only confusion in the whole thing. But he, he's looking at it saying, there's a kingdom that God is building it's going to last forever. There's a link through the whole scripture. It centers on Jesus and his death and his resurrection. Of course, once he discovered that the teaching uh, of bringing us into the kingdom is through the death and resurrection of Jesus, he was in the kingdom. And we baptized him soon afterwards and then baptized his son. And now two others of his family have come to faith as well. So it's just been a real joy. So, so there, there is this, this principle of kingdom. And I think sometimes we don't read the Bible enough to see that. If you'd read the Bible through five times, or I had done that, we probably would have seen it more clearly. But it's lost on us. We, we read snippets, don't we? And then we're on to what's on Facebook the next minute. Um, God have mercy on us. It's a strange generation, isn't it? But the scriptures are there before us still. And the promise of God uh, is that there, um, his, his plan from the beginning is a, a people uh, in a place, so Adam and Eve, in a place in a garden under his rule. People in a place under his rule. And that's, uh, that's all ruined uh, through brokenness and sin as Adam and Eve give way to temptation. And they are cast out of the garden. And there's a, a, a flaming cherub, so they can't get into that place anymore. And so you've got lost and broken Adam wandering through the world. And they've lost uh, that sense of the, the presence of God that they once had. And, it's there. and then it, you go through and it's, there's, there's a moment where God comes to Abraham and says, uh, I'll make you into a great na nation. Abraham is a man of faith. And believes these promises. And through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. And he promises a, a, to Abraham a new land. A people in a land under God's rule. And he's sort of saying, that would, wouldn't that be marvellous? Years and years later, the people uh, uh, go into slavery. 
in Egypt. And then they come out of it into that promised land. And they begin to take possession of the land. The people in the land under God's rule. But they don't quite get it right. And as they don't get it right, they end up in trouble as they don't get it right. And they turn back to God. It starts going well again. And, and, the, and the cry is, if only there was a king. If only we had somebody to rule over us who would help us in this. Then it would all be okay. And in comes the king. And, but the problem is the king is not perfect either. So you've got the people in the land. And uh, they're supposed to be under God's rule, but they're always drifting. And you're always saying to yourself, oh, if we just had this perfect king, it would all be okay. And in the midst of that, God is speaking through the prophets. And he is saying to, to the people of Israel, he's coming. The king is coming. And it's telling us about the nature of that king. He's going to be God with us. Emmanuel, Isaiah 7. Isaiah 9. He's going to be, a child is going to be born who will be called Wonderful Counselor. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Etc. And then he's uh, uh, thinking, like, how are you going to have a child born who's going to own those names? Prince of Peace, yes. Everlasting Father. Mighty God. And then at the increase of his government and reign, there'll be no end, Isaiah 9. And you see, and God is going to bring a perfect king into this world. Wouldn't that be marvelous? A people under a perfect king, under his rule, in a place that he's promised. And you're looking at that, and then the, the scriptures get more specific. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to walk the land of Galilee. He's going to have a ministry where he preaches good news to those who are lost and broken. Where he takes the bruised reed, and rather than snapping it, he, he restores it. Where he takes the smouldering wick, those who are just at the last, and then it doesn't go out. It relights again. This is the ministry of the king who's going to come. He's going to take that's broken. And he's going to restore it. And that's incredible. And people are waiting for this king to come. And then Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom of God's at hand. The kingdom of God is in your midst. Abraham was told, through your seed, through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. And the promise of the nations all centers on one individual who will be born and who will walk in the land of Galilee and who will bring the kingdom, and who will be God's Messiah, his anointed one, his chosen king. And Jesus says elsewhere, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's right amongst you now. It's right in the middle of you. And it's the irony, isn't it? John 1 puts it like this. He came to his own, but his own did not receive, and they didn't, didn't see it. But to those who did receive, he gave the right to become children of God. And that's the reality. So we've got this teaching of, of a kingdom that, that will come in, that is Christ-centered kingdom. And through his death and his resurrection, Jesus brings in a kingdom. He preaches about that kingdom over and over again. And if you want to meditate on it, I commend to you the parables of the kingdom, where he talks about how the kingdom will be opposed, how the kingdom uh, will grow and become a, from a seed that dies, a, a plant that fills the earth. And that's what we get to see something of now. And uh, it just speaks about that kingdom over and over again. And then ultimately, we get the promise in Daniel and Revelation that that is the kingdom that will endure when everything else goes. The kingdoms of this world will fall, says scripture, and only one kingdom will remain. Or to put it in the terms of Daniel, the kingdoms of the earth will become the kingdoms of our God and Christ and he will reign forever. 
That's the picture of the perfect king. It's in Psalm 2. It's in Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is great because you see visions of beasts or kingdoms, each one more terrifying than the other. And by the end of it, you're saying, oh, we're doomed. This just, there's no hope for us. And then suddenly you see heaven. And there's the throne of God. And into the throne room walks the Son of Man. The Son of Man walks in and he is given authority over the nations. As if God says, I see all this that's going on here, but there's my plan. He's going to be king forever. And if, as I, I'll use the words of Mark, if, if you are part of that kingdom, then you are eternally blessed. And if you're not part of that kingdom, probably today is the day to be right with God through Jesus Christ. Because that is the kingdom that matters. Because that's the thing that will see you, not just through the next few years, but for all eternity. So when the king comes, and he brings the kingdom to us, he brings forgiveness for all our offences. He brings uh, uh, the clothing of the perfect righteousness of God as a gift. So we stand before God uh, without spot or blemish, not because we are perfect, but because Christ intercedes for us. The price is paid, and he counts his righteousness to his people. I can't think of any. I just, th- these things astound me as I preach them. If I had a million pound debt this evening, and, God said, and somebody said to me, I'll, I'll take away your million pound debt and instead I'll give you 10 million pounds of credit. I'd be astounded by that, wouldn't you? If I did that, don't worry, it's not going to happen. You can see my house sometime and you realise it won't. Um, but imagine somebody did that to you, how grateful you would be. But God is the one who takes our, our, our debt, which is an offence against him, and casts it all away. And through faith in Jesus, Christ, uh, says to us, paid in full. Paid in full through what Jesus has done on Calvary and instead counts his perfect righteousness to those who believe. This is why you need to be right with God. Forgiveness for our debts, peace with God because those things that form a barrier because the brokenness and the sin that separates us from God is removed through Jesus Christ and we can go, if you like, there's a temple, the, the, the veil of the temple was torn in two at the crucifixion of Jesus. We can come into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God because of what Christ has done. What a wonderful symbol. No one could go there. No one was worthy. Even the high priest once a year with sacrifices need to be made beforehand. He couldn't stay there. But the veil of the temple is torn because the presence of God is open to those who are lost and broken because of Calvary. And that is good, good news. Life and power from God by his spirit that floods our life. So in this passage we're told, don't worry about when, you, when you're brought up before magistrates. The Spirit of God will guide you and get, tell you what to say. He is at work in us. And that makes all the difference. So the, the fruits of the Spirit start to be ours and the gifts of the Spirit start to be ours. And to this community, this little flock, he gives a kingdom that lasts forever. I let me put it simply like this. Imagine the most glorious moments you've had in the presence of God for those of you who believe. And you probably have had some glorious moments seem like heavenly moments just a flicker of the reality that's yet to come just a foreshadowing of a greater reality when the people of God will be uh, will see him as he is and will be like him transformed and then there will be joy that you've never seen before and there'll be grace that you've never seen before and then you'll see the, the wonder of what he's done as you've never seen it before in a kingdom that lasts forever Forever such an odd phrase, isn't it? I'm 52 now, 
And I'm certainly wearing out from where I was when I was 17. But you know, there's a kingdom coming. And that kingdom is an eternal kingdom. And if you're building for that kingdom, you are wise. Let me illustrate it like this. There's a big box uh, in front of you. It's Christmas time. And it's wrapped in Christmas paper. And on the box is written, um, on the box, um, world, everything you want. And sure enough, as you open the box, inside it you see all kinds of toys you can play with. And it's great. And you open the box and you say, this is fantastic. There's all kinds of things in there. And you open it up and you rip it open. You're playing with these gifts. And then you find out that some of, the, some of them are dirty. And some of them have got jagged edges. And you start to get cut on them. And some of them, uh, you see, are, are just harming you. Um, you're feeling sick because you're using them. And although you enjoy it, you enjoy it for a time. And after a while, you start to see it's not what it promised. There's a jagged edge to this. Uh, that's there, that's, that's actually harming me. And then against that, there's a second box. And this is a small box with the word kingdom on it. And it looks insignificant compared to the big box. But you open it up, and in there, you see a pearl of infinite value. That nobody could express the value of. It's the richest thing that you've ever seen. And it's not just a pearl, it's a, it's a pearl that's an entrance into a world of joy. And you say to yourself, no, I don't want the box anymore. I want the pearl of grace's price. Because that will give me access to joy unspeakable and full of glory. Inexpressible and glorious joy. So Jesus uh, talks about these things and he says to those who believe, you keep a focus on the kingdom and the things that really matter. You keep an eye on eternity when you live this life. And that's what I want to say to you tonight, as I would say it to my own soul. Keep an eye on eternity and on the things that really matter. And so to, out, to unpack it, um, uh, the, at the start of chapter 12, um, realize that there's nothing covered or hidden that will not be made known. In other words, the worst parts of our hearts will be exposed one day. And so we live towards that day and we say, let's keep it simple if we can. Let's keep it honest if we can. Because ultimately, it's not about trying to impress you. It's about trying to stand before Jesus. That's what matters. Um, my wife sometimes, we have get people around, you know, you tidy the house. We, we both do it, to be honest, but she's she more than me. Like, on, and I'm like, on, on, no, on no account must they see the real us, that we have this world in which things are sometimes tidy or there's washing that's out in, in different places. They mustn't see the real us. And I'm thinking to myself, why can't they see the real us? It's who we are. It's what we do, etc. We can do that. It doesn't matter, ultimately. So we're not living for the sake of other people. We're living with an eye to the kingdom and eternity. And that's important. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, said Jesus, can do nothing more. In other words, there will come a point at which uh, you might be asked to, to lay down your life. But if you're in the kingdom, then that's going to be an access into something greater and more wonderful. I'm going to close with this in a moment, but uh, I, I, can, um, I can remember, it was uh, about, well, it's COVID. Uh, my older brother uh, died in hospital, not of COVID, um, but of uh, complications that are to do with a family genetic illness that we all have. And so my family generally will die younger rather than older because of this. 
And uh, I remember my autistic son came with me to see my brother in hospital as he was dying. And uh, it was a, quite a moving moment, really, because um, uh, we're, we're there talking, and my, my, my son, who was about 17, uh, just started crying and said to my brother, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. So there's this one moment where that happened. And then my brother, who, <laughs> bless him, is high on drugs and in great pain, proceeded to share with him the hope that he had in Jesus Christ. Mm. And in that moment, I have never seen such peace and joy in a room. As we prayed together and gave thanks to God and encouraged my son, who is still yet to believe, about the promises of the kingdom and how they're yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And we got to that point where we could say it's good to be here. It's good to celebrate the things of the kingdom. It was John Wesley who said of the early Methodists, our people die well. I hope that'll be the same for us, won't it? That we, we die in hope because actually we transfer to glory because the kingdom in its all its fullness is yet to be seen. So let me say to you in closing, don't obsess about pension schemes and about retirements and the rich fool who built it all up. All these things have got some importance, but don't obsess on them. Seek first the kingdom of God. You imagine Jesus was here and he said to you directly, you seek first the kingdom of God. That's the most important thing. That's what he's saying to those who follow him. Seek first. Not that nothing else matters, but seek first the kingdom of God. And that's the call for us. Live with that eye to the future and live to be rich towards the kingdom. And if you want to know how you can do that, that's another sermon. Go and see me another time or talk to me afterwards and I'll share that with you too. How can we be rich towards the kingdom of God? But keep an eye on the prize and keep following him. Our labour in the Lord is not in vain and there's a treasure in heaven if we're prepared to seek first the kingdom. Let's pray that God would help us to do that before we sing a closing hymn. <clears throat> Father, we praise you tonight for these simple words uh, of the saviour you've given us, the eternal son, Jesus Christ. Uh, do not be afraid, little flock, for this is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for who he was and who he is. We thank you for his perfect sacrifice and we thank you for his glorious resurrection. And we thank you that he is today King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Help us to see that Lord in the world in which we live and help us Lord to see the coming of a kingdom that lasts forever and to keep our hope on you in this day and generation. Help us to live wisely in your kingdom, we pray. And we ask, Lord, that uh, by your transforming power, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would enable us to, to uh, walk with you uh, and to be moulded as disciples of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the, the hope that we have that is yet to be realised. We give you thanks, Lord, for the blessings along the way, even tonight. But we thank you the best is still to come. So keep us kingdom focused, we pray now and forever. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.